Welcome to the 28th episode of the Nerdum and Other Nonsense Anime Podcast. Today, we're going over the summer 2017 season's 10th week of shows. And just as a reminder, we also always include timestamps in the description of the YouTube video and in the podcast feed if you wish to only hear about one or two specific shows that we're following, since we literally spoil everything. My name is Bcom, and it literally almost killed me to put down Destiny 2 and do my reviews this week. Then, due to the lack of sleep because of Destiny 2, <laughs> my one-hour nap turned into a three-hour nap. And I missed our first recording, so this is kind of late. Also with me is Leo. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I t- can't blame you. Destiny 2's got us fixed. We're, we're at Kalos in the raid. I mean, it's just insane right now. Yeah, and I it sucks. <laughs> hate that dogs. Jesus. Oh, the dogs. Screw those dogs. And their like omnipotent like knowledge of where you are on the map, even if you're like way out of their view. Yeah, <laughs> screw ridiculous. Destiny Two is a fun game, though. Overall, I yes, I, it is very fun. I can't highly recommend it enough for everybody. But uh, this isn't their video game podcast. That's another <laughs> one. So let's talk about some anime. Yeah, speaking about terrifying beasts, centaur nine no nine. <laughs> The centaur's life. <laughs> you mean terrifying, <laughs> boring, yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, airing on Sundays still. Uh, episode 10. When you choose to look at contemporary art for a date, part one, slash, when you choose to look at contemporary art for a date, <laughs> part two. Yeah, it looks like they gave the title guy uh, a break this week. He was on vacation uh, in like Hawaii or something. I don't know, because that was an uninspired title compared to some of the others. (laughs) Oh, you should see next week's. It's bad. (laughs) So this episode starts off with an absolutely terribly drawn shot of Hime entering a cafe. Like, seriously, just go back and look at her walk into the cafe. It looks so disproportionate and bad. But it was just kind of a random bad shot in the episode, which looked fine overall. Um, the girls are trailing Sasasul, who is going on a date with a cat boy named Nakafumi. And Nozomi and Kyoko are telling Hime that they're doing this because they don't want any mistakes to happen, like illicit sexual relationships. And uh, Hime imagines what this would look like. She, like. she has like a cloud bubble pop out of her head with like a snake, like having sex with a cat. And it's it's weird. Which uh, is weird because they've already established <laughs> their, their species has a queen. So yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so she didn't she get wouldn't. the memo, I guess. Come on. Yeah, so the girls walk by this like black tinted van as they're trailing them and we see there's a man inside this van who has binoculars and is like reporting back to a headquarters and is tracking all all of the girls. And we find out that like the Japanese like security forces as well as the CIA and like the FSB are all tailing Su-chan because like, you know, she's like whatever, this princess of the Antarcticans who a lot of nations suspect to be just terrorists and we've seen kind of some evidence that they might be terrorists in this show as well like they like screwed up that like uh, mermaid thing whatever that was kind of terrorism in its own way so yeah they're they claim they're researchers but they're not maybe the most ethical researchers as a people so i can see why they're being trailed uh so nakafumi and suchan they go to this contemporary art exhibit and they look at this painting that just has like a yellow rectangle next to a blue rectangle. And I've I've gone to like the Modern Museum of Art in New York a lot. And this is exactly what it's like. 
It's just like a red rectangle next to an orange rectangle. It's like, oh, yeah, it's very interesting. Yes. That, yeah, that sounds boring as hell. <laughs> so, so Su Chan like asks, do humans find this sort of thing pleasant to observe? And I can answer her question. The answer is no, no. Nobody finds that pleasant. Only the only people that find this pleasant are that people that like want to go on like a date to the art museum and, and like act like they're like really cultural and knowledgeable <laughs> about rectangles and what they mean. It's just bullshit. It, it really is. But th- this, this episode gets into that. So Nakazumi explains the rise of contemporary art by saying it was a, like, like a reaction to the industrial age and mass production, which made beautiful art mass producible and commonplace. So people and artists looked to make something else, some other type of beauty. Um, he mentions like the interstellar wars movies, as he calls them. They're the Star Wars movies, obviously. <laughs> and Clearly. he says that like, yeah, if you pay 10 times the money, it won't give you 10 times the entertainment, which was a weird point to make because... George Lucas sold the Star Wars IP to Disney for like $2 billion. <laughs> every Star Wars fan I know has spent like hundreds to thousands of dollars on video games, merchandise, the movie themselves. So, I mean, like, I feel like people spend more money and do get like more entertainment. So I, that was a point I didn't really feel was made very well with Star Wars anyway. Uh, so Nakafumi says that contemporary art has evolved to the point where it's now just a game to see how much people can change the meaning of the concept of art in context. So Sue asks him like what the context is for this yellow and blue rectangle painting. And he's like, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, there is none. I'm just going to let you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like uh, you could create, you could you can imagine a context for it. Like you can imagine it's like the ocean and the, the sun or something, but like it, yeah it doesn't there's no real context it's all up to you it's up to interpretation so Hime wonders if Sue is even enjoying any of this because they're still like tracking her at the uh, museum and uh, Nakafumi asks Sue like what Antarctican art is like and she's like well we have design specs for our research and (laughs) (laughs) she said the closest thing that they have to an art is like their logic proofs and numerical formulas that are beautiful in their brevity um so at this point Hime like literally bumps in uh to this other cat boy named Omaki from their class who happens to have his arm intertwined with Tama's, the class president. And she's also on a date, like, so, but she pretends not to be on a date when he may asks. And Omaki is also not what he seems at first. We'll get to that in the second part of the episode. I was getting ready to say something, but okay. Yeah. You're going to go yeah. there. So when Sue and Nakafumi leave the museum, they head towards a district with a lot of love hotels and the girls and like the security forces in the headquarters are all freaking out because they're like, no, we need to get somebody in that love hotel and stop this from happening, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And like the girls are freaking out, like but they just walk past the love hotel and they go to a bookstore. There was they were not going to the love hotel. Uh, and so like the next day, the girls ask her like how the date went. And she says she enjoyed like the feeling of not understanding something because I guess she usually understands a lot of things. And then she also knew Hime was there the whole time because she's gigantic and she saw her in the background. Um, and Tama's date tells her he would be willing to tag along anytime. This is like also in the same classroom scene. Uh, and maybe she just wanted him there like so she could have an excuse not to go to the exhibit by herself that that was what i was thinking at that point in time but then the second half of the episode quickly answers all those questions because it goes 
from Tama's perspective of the same events of that whole day. Um, so her cat girl sisters, only two of them of the three, give her a bunch of shit and call her a child abuser for leaving <laughs> them alone with their dad, who's at home and going out with a boy. Uh, however, Omaki shows up and we find out he's not a boy at all. He just looks like a boy and is actually a girl. OK, then. So, so that's that's our second <laughs> lesbian relationship. Yeah. <laughs> the third cat girl like sister comes back and like high fives the first one and says I'm switching out and then the other one's like yeah and then like runs somewhere else and we, we find out later like the cat girl sisters are switching out because their dad is painting a portrait of them and so they're tw- they're triplets so <laughs> they can just like s- like switch out at any time there's no problem they're yeah, all they have, like the a little thing. kitchen timer it's cool <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, okay, Omaki understands that it must be tough for Tama to get out with four little sisters like she has. So she's helping out, basically. And the reason they decide to, like, link arms together is not because they're in a romantic relationship. It's because they're in an area where there's, like, I guess Japan, according to anime, is just filled with douchebags who will hit on you at a drop of a hat, like, constantly on the streets because they see this guy hitting on some other girl and they're like can we link arms and like walk past him so he doesn't harass us and like they walk past him with arms link and he just like like clicks his tongue at them as they go by he's like damn what an asshole (laughs) hey well at least he's being uh, a positive Japanese person and trying to help their birth rate out I'll give him that (laughs) positive Uh, okay I guess so in that sense (laughs) Because <laughs> that's what he needs to hey, resort to. What, what is it they called? What do they call them like grass boys or something like that? Grass boys? I don't know. No. Oh, I think I've heard of this term before. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Because they're just guys who don't even try at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, yeah, the Japanese girls call them that. Something like guys who eat grass because they're like herbivores instead of carnivores. Yeah, like it's something yeah. along those lines. That might be completely long, wrong, but it's the right direction. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, also, the, this doesn't work out as well as like Omaki thinks because like everybody thinks she looks like a guy, so it just looks like a normal relationship. Like it doesn't look like a lesbian relationship at all. Like Tama is worried about it. So just before Hime bumps into them, Tama is talking about how sometimes it takes longer to read the explanation for modern art than to look at the art itself. <laughs> ah, grass eaters. That's what it is. Oh yeah, yeah. and they're also know, calling them herbivore boys. Yeah, I thought you were right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they're looking at this art. They're reading the explanation. And then they're like, even after reading the explanation, we still don't get it. <laughs> so this whole this, this whole episode is just shitting on contemporary art, basically. <laughs> uh, that's like the point of this episode. So um, back at Thomas house, we see that the cat girl triplets are switching out again. And the painting actually looks pretty good, by the way, like the, that the dad painted. It looks nice. Um, and when the girls switch... He thinks to himself that he wish he was a smoker or a drinker or an asshole who could take his frustration out on his kids because he doesn't have any outlet to vent through. He's just having these dark thoughts and he's like, I don't know how to get out of this situation. And so Tama and Omaki get into this discussion about Tama's father. They're at a cafe and how he doesn't want to follow the contemporary art movement. He just wants to paint classically beautiful pictures. And we see that he's been literally selling drawings of his like cat girl daughters as book covers for publishers, which seems kind of exploitative to like just draw your like 
toddler aged daughters like because they were they were even younger in these pictures it looked like and then like sell them as book covers it seems a little weird but well, it was uh, like kids book covers I guess so yeah they weren't like nest they weren't like too bad and then so Amaki thinks like he should just become an illustrator then if he doesn't want to like create real art like he, or like in the contemporary sense maybe he just become a classical illustrator and i don't know amaki basically tells tama that like you know you know your dad is an adult i'm sure he's thought all this stuff through like it's not you don't need to be like thinking out his whole life for him like it's just not your like problem he needs to figure that stuff out uh and like she's like he's an adult so he probably knows he's probably thought everything through and i just want to like say as an adult that assumption is way off base. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of adults who don't think things through, like, at all. So anyway, at home, Tama gives her dad a break for once, telling him to, like, come eat dinner with them, even though he says he's in a groove with his painting. Because uh, she's like, you know, if he ruins his health uh, and he's also got this, like, lack of an art career, then he has nothing left. So at least I'll take care of his health for now on. So the only running theme I could see through this episode was that, like, the episode's second half um, is like much more interesting in context. Like it puts the first half in much more interesting in context. And that's kind of like what they were saying with contemporary art is that in context, it's more interesting. When you put things in context, it's more interesting. So all the stuff with like Omaki and Tama, when you have the actual context for what was happening, makes more sense. But that's the only thing this episode really tried to do that I could figure out. Um, also very strange for Centaur's life to have an, a full episode about modern art, but whatever. That's all I'm saying. This this show does has no idea what it wants to be. I feel like it's kind of the random like thoughts of the creator more so than like a complete narrative at all in well, any sense. It is titled The Life of a Centaur, so <laughs> I guess it could you know, I guess technically be about Everything that would involve Hime's life, but then we had an episode where she wasn't even in it, and they talked about the Holocaust of that world. So I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't know what it wants to do. Wait till you see uh, next week's episode. It's worse. (laughs) I can't wait. Oh man, I'm glad that's your lock, and I don't have to write about it. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the next show, which is Princess Principal. We've got episode ten, which is Comfort Comrade. So we're told about a training facility deep in the woods called The Farm, where Ange and Dorothy went through this cutthroat selection process to become first class spies. Um, There is this like black haired, like glasses wearing girl who was second in the class to Ange the whole time. She was always just one step behind her, it seems like. Uh, And now they've been asked to meet with her as part of a mission after they've all graduated now to retrieve top secret documents from this first lord of the admiralty uh and the mission will take place on christmas day uh so the first lord is dictating a letter uh to the black haired girl who is a spy uh but he doesn't know that he's she just thinks of her as like a secretary basically and this letter is talking about how like the kingdom needs to merge the fleet protecting the albion channel basically the uh the english channel uh with like the atlantic fleet to con- constitute one combined like naval force that's like his plan i guess and he refers to this girl the black haired girl as miss eleanor so eleanor is what we'll call her she doesn't really enjoy christmas apparently because it reminds her of someone from her past 
who she always wished she could be. And at this point in the episode, it's heavily hinting that the person she wished she could be would be Ange, because she's the one that she was always just behind in class. You think that she looked up to Ange, basically. So Ange, Dorothy, and Beatrice sneak into the estate. And I just want to note that, like, the animation in the sequence is so far down in quality from the early episodes. Like, they, they like, really hammered out, like, four good episodes, I would say, animation-wise. And then they've had, like, spikes here and there, but mostly, like, the animation quality has dipped a lot. It has gone far down from where it was and, like, what I liked so much about it. So it's kind of disappointing to see. Eleanor sneaks up behind Beatrice and scolds her for her bad posture, which was making her footsteps sound loud, and it's why she was able to spot her. And Dorothy tells Eleanor to, like, give her some slack. She wasn't trained at the farm like me and Ange and you. Uh, So Ange and Eleanor are, like, really icy towards one another. But uh, Dorothy asks if they can just get along since they're all, like, the only three spies left from their class. I think everybody else got cut uh, from making it, basically. So... Yeah, basically. The, the girls start working um, the estate, like with Eleanor serving as a distraction to the guards. Ange steals a key from the guard room, and Beatrice is just amazed at how well they work together when they like just barely communicate at all. Uh, so the documents they need are in this cellar underneath like the gamekeeper's cabin uh, on the grounds, but it's unfortunately surrounded by like a huge pack of like hunting beagle dogs. And Beatrice is like, oh, I can take care of this. So she uses her voice synthesizer to produce like a dog whistle. And all of the dogs just like lay down where they're standing, which is pretty impressive, honestly. Um, so the show still has its artistic moments because like one of which is when Ange whips out this like beautifully detailed like silver like harpoon gun that she shoots like a wire down to the cabin so she can rappel down there. And she gets gives like a coast is clear si- signal when it's uh, good to go. And Dorothy says she's been following Eleanor's exploits since they graduated and is impressed by how good she's gotten. And Eleanor vaguely says it's only because she was desperate. So there's a fairly random scene where Princess is talking to Chisei. This is like completely separate. They're not on the mission. And they're a little worried about the girls on the mission. And they're watching a, a shishi odishi, which is one of those things typically made out of bamboo that like fills up with water and then pours out the water one side of the tube and then clunks back onto a stone. Except the one Chisei didn't have any bamboo, so she made one out of metal apparently. And it makes like a weird, weird gong noise instead. <laughs> And like Princess is like, what do you use these for? And she she uh, she say doesn't even know. Like, but in real life, Shishi Odishi like just literally translates to scare deer or scare boar. It's just designed to frighten away animals from your garden, basically. That big loud thunk frightens oh, them away. Oh, I never really knew. I I just assumed it was like a relaxing meditative type thing. Yeah, I feel I feel like it kind of serves like that too. I do. You've watched Kill Bill, right? Yeah. You know that scene where it's like she is going to meet like Oren. What, what, what is her name? Like, well, like Lucy Liu's character in like the snowy garden, and they have a Shishi Odishi going off through that whole scene. Yeah, it just it just lulls you into this like state of like meditation almost. It really yeah. does. But it's yeah. also very Japanesey. That's why it was in that scene. So. Also, also true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the girls complete their mission. 
And it was, yeah, they didn't really show much of it, honestly, just a little bit of a montage. And they go to a bar to like drink beer and eat potato chips. And Dorothy explains that they nicknamed Eleanor the prefect at the farm because she was like so responsible and she took charge of the class and always got good grades. And Eleanor's like, well, my grades were only second best. But Dorothy says that's because number one, Ange, was a space alien. So you couldn't really be her. Space lizard. A space lizard, yeah. Eleanor excuses herself to the restroom and uh, has... Real quick on the space lizard, do you notice it oh, in the yeah. OP? Oh, is there one in the OP? There's a space I, lizard in the OP. It's right towards the end. I haven't watched the full OP in a couple weeks now, but I'll I keep an eye out for that. It's one of the only OPs I always watch because I love that song and the ED. It's I watch them both. I, there's never been any anime I can think of where I always watched both because I like them so much. It is, it is. They're both really good. I mean, I, I watched them for the first few weeks and I've just been like trying to get through episodes lately. So oh, yeah, I'll watch it again. They're catchy and they get stuck in my head and I'm totally fine with that because I like them. <laughs> I also think a good sign of a good OP visually is where things start to un- make more sense to you as you watch more of the show. Like unlike Attack on Titan, where they had random fucking animal titans running around, and then the show never got into that at all. Never mind. Okay, I'm gonna stop bitching about Attack on Titan. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was a thing. I remember seeing it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Eleanor excuses herself to the restroom at the bar, and she has a bit of a breakdown, realizing that Ange hasn't changed at all. And she pulls out this injector from her purse and goes back to the table. Uh, She's an addict. Well, I thought she was going to, like, kill Ange with it, actually, but no. It's, oh, no, no, no. Well, yeah. they animated her like she was having withdrawals. Yes, I so think So she was, like, right. sweating, and she was, like, starting to freak out and lose her cool. Yeah, and she got that sense. out, and yeah. then she came back, and she's totally cool again. I'm like, I'm, I'm assuming I'm just going to go with heroin. Well, I think it has to do with Cavorite poisoning, possibly. Like, or something like that. Like, I don't know. In this world, there's stuff like that. But they never really explicitly tell you what her addiction is. But something that she needs, like, a pink fluid to inject into herself for. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Ange and Beatrice have left the bar, though. And are they're, like, flying through the snow at night using Cavorite. And Ange explains to Beatrice that the real mission that they're on was not, was not the one with the uh, Lord of the Admiralty. It's to find out whether Eleanor is a double agent. So Ange and Beatrice are like headed toward Eleanor's boarding house to check it out while Dorothy and Eleanor are still sitting in the bar and they're drinking their 21st fucking beer. (laughs) And I was just like, this is another one of those points where like you could have made the girls a little older. Like Dorothy is old enough. She's 20. But like the other girls like drinking 21 beers and not having any like adverse effects from it. I don't know about that, man. I yeah, don't I'm pretty know. sure they both should be either dead. passed out and puking on their sides or dead. Yeah. That's just, just, that's just, just way too much beer. Just by body weight. Like body weight, you would not be able to do that. Yes, and, and women are more susceptible to alcohol too. So the effects would be even worse. Like become you're 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 a very you're a large dude as in height wise. Yeah. I there's no way you could drink twenty one beers and nope. then be cool. <laughs> I, would, I would not be good. Oh, man. So uh, they start talking about this Christmas exam that they had had uh, way back on the farm. And back then, Eleanor 
uh, Dorothy and Anne were all on a team and they were tracking a target. That was their uh, mission. And Eleanor lost sight of the target and started crying. But then Dorothy like convinced Eleanor like, hey, since we've already failed, why don't we just go to the, like, there's this fair going on in London and we never get to go outside. We never get to leave the farm and have fun. So like they go and they actually just have fun together at this like amusement park type fair. And then Ange, while they're doing that, just goes off and finds the target on her own because she's black lizard crazy alien and she can do the stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and even Eleanor admits to Dorothy like, yeah, Ange was just a natural, wasn't she? Meanwhile, back in the present, Ange can't find any evidence in Eleanor's room. So they just leave. And when Eleanor gets back, she sees that her room has been tampered with. She had like a rug in the middle of the room with like some soot or something underneath it, which was a trap. So when people walk over it, they leave footprints. So she can always lift that up and see if people have been walking around the room. But it turns out Ange purposely left those footprints. She knew there was a trap and she wanted Eleanor to know that they had been in her room. And so they could gauge her reaction to that afterwards. So. Eleanor like leaves her apartment and Ange catches up with her uh, and like tells her to like drop her gun and her suitcase. So Eleanor like gently puts down her gun and puts down her suitcase, but like kind of clicks something on like the handle of the suitcase as she puts it down. Uh, And like Eleanor remarks that old Ange would have just put a bullet in the back of her head. So someone must have put feelings in her heart at this point. So like when Eleanor puts down the suitcase, it engages that mechanism and it goes off firing bullets like a machine gun. And they hit like this nearby steam pipe in a really lucky shot and it floods the whole area with steam. And so Ange can't see her and can't move forward because the steam would like it's so hot it would probably burn her face off or something so dorothy yells at Ange for like not waiting for them to get there and Ange is saying like oh i just wanted to ensure the mission's success but dorothy suspects she wanted to prove she was a better spy than eleanor once and for all anyway eleanor gets on a moving train she bribes a ticket inspector to let her have like a vacant compartment and the girls like follow by car And at this point, Eleanor takes out like the injector again and injects herself with the syringe from earlier. And Dorothy uh, is able to jump onto the train with a cabaret ball and she finds uh, Eleanor's cabin and goes in and confronts her. And Ange is also just outside the window, pointed a gun down just in case this goes wrong. Beatrice is left driving the car, which she is not good at. And (laughs) she's just screaming and like, ah, flying through the snow. (laughs) Yeah, she's driving through like a snow and like she literally hits a bank of snow and the car like flips up vertical. And man, I can't tell you how much I wish she had just died. (laughs) Like I was, (laughs) I was like, oh, is she dead? Oh, please, please be dead. But she's not dead. She's fine. Uh, So Dorothy tells Eleanor she's impressed that she gave Ange the slip. And Eleanor responds like, The person she looked up to was never Ange at all. The one she wanted to be like was Dorothy. And it's because she never really, like Eleanor really never really cared about grades, but she also just had this crippling fear of disappointing anyone. Uh, And she got tired of it after a while and slipped up leading to her current situation. And she wishes that she could have had more fun like she did with Dorothy at the fair. Like that's all she wanted out of her life. She says like she she still dreams about that night that they went to the fair together. She reaches into her pocket and Dorothy warns her like I don't want to have to shoot a friend. Like just put it down. And Eleanor tells her, 
hey, it's Christmas, so I'll give you a present and I'll free you from having to shoot a friend. And she puts the gun up to her head and blows her brains out. And that's not even the most shocking part of this episode. <laughs> so, wait, what is the most shocking part of this episode? The very end. Okay, so later on the way home, Dorothy thanks Anne for jumping the gun earlier uh, because she realizes it was to protect her from having to shoot Eleanor. But Anne's just like, no, that I just want to increase the odds on the mission. But Dorothy thinks that, no, you were being kind to me by doing that. So they return to the control headquarters and they find that their next their leader, L, has been transferred and a general has taken his place. And the general's first assignment for the spies, he says, is to assassinate Princess. Dun dun dun. <laughs> so it's, I guess it's finally. They, just, they finally decided to have a story in this show. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happened. And I, and I can say with certainty, because I've seen the next episode, that it does go with this so that's okay yeah if you're everybody's still watching this yeah look forward to the next episode <laughs> i will just say like after watching this episode i kind of thought this plot twist was a little dumb because control you know the the commonwealth spy agency they're aware that the princess has been working for them for some time now so like i was trying to think of like why the hell would they assassinate such a valuable asset like you have the princess inside the kingdom who you have as a double agent for you, basically. So it makes it to me, it made no sense that they would kill her unless they have concrete evidence that she's a double agent who's doing more harm to them than good. Or if like maybe this military general just wants to start a war, like maybe that's what he wants to accomplish by killing the princess. Well, it all just explained in the next episode. And uh, one thing you're forgetting is what the original Operation Changeling is. Well, it was to replace the princess with Ange. Yeah, correct. But why do that? <laughs> like you Because know. he has a loyal agent and he can be certain of it. I guess he's just not certain of the princess, yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's they had to finish off this show somehow. This is as good a way as any, I guess. So. Yeah, and I, I just can't say too much. Next episode is really great. Look forward to it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. All right. So we'll move on to the next thing. All right, let's do Tuesdays. Restaurant to Another World, episode 11. Craps. I had to say it. <laughs> Grapes. <laughs> Kreps. It's Kreps. And I'm going to go on a rant about that later. Don't yes, I know. It's Kreps. <laughs> Kreps slash Natto Spaghetti, which BCOM would definitely hate. No, no good. No good. <laughs> <laughs> I have an odd feeling I would actually like Natto. You might. It's just, it's definitely like an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like just I like, ferment, it's a fermented thing. I don't like fermented things usually. I've tried a decent amount of cheeses. I've yet to find one I don't like, except for I had like an onion type cheese, but I hate onions and I thought that was terrible. But like <laughs> I've, I've had some couple stinky cheeses and I think those are really good. So I feel like I would still like natto probably because of that reason. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So we start off by meeting a green haired queen fairy with like multicolored butterfly wings. It's really cool. Uh, there seems to be a disturbance in her kingdom and she goes to investigate and you also see that like the rest of the fairies in this world are all female so there's that and what they find is this giant door they're like the size of mice compared to this door and the queen ends up and like they have a little debate about like you know what they should do and she's like well I'm gonna go in with a you know a contingent of people and we're gonna check this out so the queen summons like a giant plant golem to open the door but like He's bigger than the door, so he can't go himself, but he can open it for them. 
Mm-hmm. So the queen and the squad of soldiers go through and like we see that some of the regulars are there and the queen's like looking around and she spots Victoria, who is also a magician. She can see the magic on her. So she feels like she can trust her. She goes to her and introduces herself as Tiana and asks what the intentions of this place is. They, they thought they were being invaded. They don't know what's going on. But Victoria explains to uh, Tiana what it is all about you know it's just a food restaurant you can pay for food and stuff like this and Tiana says okay well what do you recommend and it turns out the fairies only like sweet things so Victoria chooses from the dessert menu of course <laughs> she ends up going with a mixed fruit crepe <laughs> you don't know how hard it is for me not to just pronounce it wrong and urky. no you can say crepe it's fine like half of the world says crepe I, well, I know it's crepe I I no, it's an know. accepted pronunciation. I'm just saying the accepted pronunciation is dumb. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'll so, get into it later. Yeah. And, but it there's it's kind of funny when they order it and it brings it out because Aletta has to like cut it into smaller pieces for the fairies because it's just too big. Yeah. Uh, Tiana goes first because it might be poisoned, but she has like a really strong magic power. So if it was poisoned, she would still be fine. Uh, she ends up sampling everything in it, like one piece at a time, like she tries some of the cream she tries a piece of the, the bread portion she tries a piece of the fruit and of course she loves it all um, but then towards the end she realizes she needs to combine all of them together for the ultimate experience and so she said let's the other fairies try it and you know of course they think it's amazing and whatnot but as payment tiana gives victoria a flower seed from her land and apparently has some really great importance to it since victoria says she will pay for all their future meals so that's apparently extremely valuable for some reason extremely so like and then like it just shows the scene of like them like she goes back and like what they have to do now is like a lottery system in her kingdom so that different groups of the girls go with her every time to that world and like it's the (laughs) big buzz and they're all like always arguing over you know what they should try and stuff like that so it's pretty cool they're all very cute too like let's be honest they're very cute I mean, it's a world of all female fairies. Come on. Yeah. There's none of them's going to be ugly. Nobody writes that. (laughs) (laughs) On to the next scene, we have our vegan elf, uh, Faldania, visiting one of her father's friends. And when she asks somebody which house is Christian's, they reply with, it's the one that has smelled strange for the last 10 years. Uh, She's like, okay. She sniffs her way out and gets there. And like the two hit off well, very quickly. And finally, Faldania asks, you know, she's like, what that, what's that rotting smell is? And it turns out Christian is trying to ferment elven beans. He says he's got the idea because of a door that has been appearing in the capital. So the both of them end up going to the restaurant and he orders natto spaghetti with no egg. It's basically spaghetti topped with chopped up natto and just like, you know, a couple other garnishments, whatever. Uh, they both eat their dishes and like Faldania is like surprised, but then she's like, I want seconds, but I would like to try the natto on the rice. And you know, Christian's surprised because he thought natto was a spaghetti sauce. He didn't realize he'd go with anything else. So they get mm-hmm. that and they realize, you know, that's amazing also. So that's the end of the episode. Yeah, it was just a simple little second part about natto being better on rice than on spaghetti. <laughs> All right, I allow you to have your rant. Keep it under two minutes. Well, first things first, I watched the first minute of the wrong episode again. 
because I'm an idiot and I can't figure out Crunchyroll's cue because I'm an idiot. But whatever. Was it the one before or after? No, this? it was the next episode. So I was like, I started t- typing that up. I was like, oh wait, I, I this time I read your review first, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. That's why it doesn't make any sense. Okay, good. That's that's back awesome. in episode. <laughs> so oh dumb. man, what if I hadn't written it yet? Would you watch the <laughs> I whole been thing? Screwed again, probably. Yeah, who knows? Oh man, I would have went to do the synopsis. And then, like, I would have been reading yours and been like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully you would have sent me a message that time and been like, dude, watch the right episode, damn it. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, I need to bitch for a minute because the entire world mispronounces, in my opinion, the French word crepe. It's pronounced crepe, not crepe. People seem to think they're being fashionable and pronouncing it that way because there's an accent and people don't know what to do with accents sometimes. They think that the accent circumflex, which is the one that's above the E in the word crepe, is supposed to be pronounced like the accent aigu, which is the like right and upwards facing accent that's on a lot of French words. That That is an E with an A sound. Omelette but, du fromage. There you go. Even though that like, om- omelette actually doesn't have an accent on it either, so that's wrong too. Well, that's how they pronounce it in Dexter's Laboratory. Dexter's Laboratory is stupid. <laughs> I love that show. It's okay. I, I, I didn't watch much of that show actually growing up. I thought it was I watched, funny though. I, can, I, saw it. I can probably answer a trivia uh, test right now and probably do pretty good, even though oh, I've wow. seen it forever. I watched a lot uh, on repeat. The other reason I think people get confused about crepe and crepe is because there's a thing called crepe paper, which is literally spelled differently. It's C-R-A-P-E, which so it makes sense to pronounce that crepe. But anyway, okay, let's just, I'm going to break this down for people. So in French, the, the circumflex accent, it generally marks like a the former presence of a consonant, usually the letter S, that was like deleted from the word and is no longer pronounced in French. Like, but a lot of French words came to English through like Norman French, uh, and constantly, uh, consequently, those words got derived into English, and frequently like retain that consonant that the French got rid of, but like the English still have it. So like you can see it in a lot of words that have a, cir- a circumflex, like the French word hôpital, which is hospital. So like after the O, which has a circumflex on it, there's an S that got taken away in French, but is still there in the English word. Or hotel, which is hostel, or forêt, which is forest, or like pate, which is paste, basically. So, like in the example of crepe, adding an s would give us its origin of cresp, or the Latin word crispa, which are what like the ancient Greek pancakes are referred to in Latin, uh, basically, and when they have creases in them. So it's kind of like the origin of the word crepe. And so the crepe pronunciation is accepted in British English and often in the United States. But just because something is accepted doesn't mean it isn't dumb. So and if, just yeah. to add some more fuel to the fire, if you were to use English language rules, you would pronounce it creeps. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> English uh. language rules um, <laughs> suck. So now that you've all been edumacated, uh, yeah. we can move on to surder children. I never know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Good pronunciation. <laughs> Episode 10, Lovers. Lovers. So Tomo Momochi, who is ugly, his words, not mine, <laughs> has asked, been asked by his friend Yamane to meet him behind the school, who has also been called out by Kurihara. 
Kurihara says she made too much pudding and wants to share it. And like Yamane says he can't possibly accept it, but our man Tomomochi understands what's going on. He knows like the two are just basically flirting with each other. They just, just, they aren't like openly saying, yes, we like each other. Uh, the two really like each other, but keep skirting around it. And he says, even says she made the pudding with you in mind, causing both of them to blush. blush. Uh, he finally gets away so the two can be alone. It's, it's sure it's cute, but whatever. Yeah, he's a good wingman. Like I felt like his character was a little over the top for this show, kind of. But then I thought about like, wait, there's that blonde, sparkly kid. So how can you be more over the top than that? But so he was just like he saw like through their situation and was just like, guys, you need to just freaking. Yeah, they were both so it. shy, and then like he just sees it and he's like, all right, you both clearly like each other. Just yeah, get it out there and admit it. <laughs> exactly. And now on to Ayaka and Takeru, who seem to be getting a lot of scream time lately. Mm-hmm. Takeru feels like his girlfriend has been on edge lately. And we see like another girl ask Takeru, how do you say his name? I usually just call him Goda, but T- Takeru, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, Goda, whatever. Uh, like some girl walks up and wants him to open a bottle for her and... Ayaka does her best pouty jealous face she can do. It's great. It's it's just <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Gota asks her what's up and she denies, denies anything he's up, you know. And then like a blonde headed girl comes out of nowhere and like arm wrestles him. <laughs> causing Ayaka to make her face again. It's, yeah. it's, it's I need a screenshot of that face. It is priceless. <laughs> but Gota goes to the regular meeting spot after school and she isn't there. And he looks at his phone and sees that she has even blocked him. And he's like, what the hell? But Ayaka does show up and sneaks up behind him. She says she's sorry and wanted him to worry about her, which is why she was being a bit mean. That's so true. Ayaka wants to hold hands as they walk home because he got to hold Patricia's hand during the arm wrestling thing. So that's funny. Uh, Goda thinks she wants to arm wrestle, but she quickly says, that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) And she can't tell him why. Uh, but then she ends up does and she's like I don't like it because it makes you know hold on why she doesn't like it because it will make him angry at her uh, he says he will never be angry with her and to tell him what it is and boy does she so I wrote this quote for quote she says that don't get too close to other girls call me by my first name from now on I can't blame Patricia Chan but I'm the only one who can call you Takaru which is his first name and don't hold hands with other girls not even arm wrestling i'm the only one who can hold hands with you you can help them open plastic bottles but if you're nice to someone you have to be even nicer to me he's like oh that's what it was <laughs> <laughs> she also wants him to call her by her first name and he can't get it out so but. this yeah this relationship might seem crazy to some people but like i can say like as a first relationship in like high school like when you're really young like you get super jealous of like any little display of affection that your like boyfriend or girlfriend might have so- towards somebody else especially when the two of you are not very good at public displays of affection like starting off so that'll make you even more jealous so i understand where ayaka is coming from no, yeah it's i mean this is a very real world type of relationship i would say yeah yeah so our next scene is chiaki is still worrying about not having to gotten around to kissing his girlfriend connie yet when they actually come across uh gota and ayaka at the park sitting together 
They decide to watch them and are surprised by like Ayaka's straightforwardness because I guess in class she's just a shy girl. And <laughs> they're just surprised because they hear her asking Gota to call her by her first name. And she's like leaning on his arm and they're just like blown away. They're like, oh man, I've never seen the side of her. I didn't know she was like that. <laughs> uh, even uh, Gota seems manlier, manlier to them. They're just totally blown away how these two seem so different when uh, not not in class, you know, when they think they're alone. Mm-hmm. What's bothering the two of them is that the couple has changed since going out and they have gone nowhere themselves. Uh, before they can leave, Ayaka asks for a kiss, but not in broad daylight. And Gota gives her a kiss on the cheek, surprising her. The other two are losing it at this point. <laughs> they keep using the other couple to basically make jabs at each other. I, I loved this. Cause like, I feel like this happens so much in real life too, where like one couple, like, complains to each other about like how great this other couple over there is doing and like why can't we just be like them that's such a real life thing that always happens <laughs> yeah but ayaka gets a go to back by kissing him on the cheek and chiaki uses this to get at kana and say see there's nothing wrong with the girl making the first move <laughs> the the two decide to come through the kiss but get interrupted by the other two just before they do and then and a very interesting turn of events in the next scene. Uh, Chiaki invites over Kana with the rest of his family away for the day on vacation. The two go upstairs to his room, but on the way, Kana says she has to be home by eight. And Chiaki says to himself, okay, I have until late. I have until late. I have until late. <laughs> <laughs> and then like Kana's behind him and she also looks down her shirt wondering if she has her good undies on today. <laughs> I'm like, Wow. <laughs> Uh, the two continue to be like be awkward the whole time with like the various little quick shot scenes. Um, Chiaki leaves to get drinks and apparently drank cooking wine or something because he comes back to the room <laughs> drunk trying to kiss Kana. She says she wants to kiss the regular Chiaki and not like this, but it turns out he was acting the whole time and plants one on her. Uh, she turns around and like Chiaki's teasing her until she like turns around and like punches him in the face and then she runs out of the house crying and Chiaki doesn't know how to act. Yeah, because she made a big deal of how, like, I want our first kiss to be special. And he's just drunk and he doesn't get it. And he just, like, plants one on her and ruins her first kiss, in her opinion. Well, and, what he did, yeah. he showed, he's like, oh, no, see, it was just an act. And she's like, what? And in her stunned, that's when he kisses her. Yeah, so. exactly. And then, like, regarding that last scene, I, I, at that point, would say, like, I would find it really refreshing if Kana just broke up with Chiaki. Because, like, this kid doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's such an idiot. Like, find somebody else. Find somebody else. Like, he's such a moron. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen, though I have seen the next episode, so I know kind of the aftermath of this. Uh, I think I I saw a screenshot, which kind of answered it for me. Yeah. I I I think it's the the screen cap that Crunchyroll used, maybe. I think the aftermath of this is handled well in the next episode, at least. That's oh, nice, nice. I haven't yeah. done that review yet. One of the two I still need to do. I still need to do restaurant. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, another really fun episode from this show just, like, continues to, like, get into various aspects of relationships that are fun to explore. So it's just rolling along, doing really well. <laughs> oh, boy. What's next? Oh, Wednesdays. Soccer Quest. Episode 23, The Crystal of Melting Snow. So, Riri and Chitose come across three men in business attire taking notes in town. Chiaki asks if she can help them, but they say, nah, they're fine. And then they just move on. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, this this episode does do some uh, scene hopping. 
and episode 24 does it even more <laughs> so be ready for this <laughs> meanwhile yoshino and shiori are walking through tokyo wondering why a company in tomikura has volunteered to help at the festival they are there to meet with the company's ceo kudo uh, he was a graduate of Manoyama, and that's why he wants to help. He also attended the closing ceremony, ceremony a week back, so that's cool. Uh, he runs a pastry store and has three stores in total. Uh, he is looking to open a fourth in Manoyama and hoping somebody would rent a store to his company. And what you looked into this company, didn't you? Yeah, it's a real life company. It's a Portuguese pastry called uh, Pastel or Pastéis de Nata. And uh, the the company is called like Pastes de Belém, and Belém is like a civil parish of Lisbon, Portugal. And this company has been around since like 1837. Uh, they've been making basically these pastel de nata, which are egg tarts that have cinnamon and powdered sugar. And it's a pretty cool story. Like, and uh, I think these became really popular in Asia because they got started getting sold in like fast food restaurants as desserts, like McDonald's and KFC and stuff. And uh, this made sense to me because, like, um, like I've gone to a lot of Hong Kong bakeries and like Flushing Queens, and they always have their own like egg tarts, not not these type, but different ones. So it would make sense that like a different kind of egg tart would catch on as like a popular dessert in Asia. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that but yeah, sense. it's like uh, you you can look up the company like Pastel or Pastes de Belém, and you'll see the same box that they use in this episode on their website. So it's pretty cool. Oh, okay. Uh, back in Manoyama, they have to go to Chiyose for approval to let this guy rent a store since she is the board of mer- uh, head of the board of merchants. Uh, she's actually very fair about the situation considering she runs a confectionery and it would be, you know, directly uh, uh, a rival to her, you know, be competition. Mm-hmm. So, but she does say, you know, the board comes before me and my personal affairs. So, awesome. She's a, she's a very grounded person. She likes the rules, so. That's that's nice to know. But back at the dorm, Yoshino is worrying about her future since her contract as queen is only a year and it's coming closer to a close. And everybody else, you know, has something they can go back to, but she doesn't. Um, so Chiyose is asking shop owners if they would, you know, rent, but isn't having very much luck, mostly because the owners live on the second floor and, you know, and the smell 24 hours a day would just be too much. And... Ah, yeah, I would totally get that. That would drive me insane if I lived on top of a pastry bakery. Yeah, that would be rough, especially with how early they're baking stuff, like three or four in the morning or something. Yeah, you would just wake to that smell and then just (laughs) go back to sleep to that smell every day. It'd be insane. Mm -hmm. Not to mention you and all your stuff would probably smell like it, too, at that point. True. Uh, But there is one place I haven't tried yet, and that's an old grocery store, and the owner does not live there, so that's a good sign. They do a quick cutscene with the girls and Angelica's, and Erica comes running out of the back saying if, you know, Belle's coming to their town, she would go there every day, even work there. It's a <laughs> it's a cute scene. I really like it. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, actually, see, about that scene, I'll just say, like, Erica's animated so well in that scene. Like, Erica is getting a lot of good animation lately. I've been noticing, like, somebody on that staff really likes animating Erica. <laughs> like, her hair is, like, flowing around, and, like, her run looks really good. I don't know. It's just, if you look at that scene again, it's beautifully animated. Nice. So, we see Chitose visiting the grocery store owner, and then we cut away again. Eventually coming back to a couple of the girls in Kadota, Kadota visiting the owner. The owner is very adamant about not renting out his shop. In a surprise, the tourism board has now shown up after Chitose. 
the girls are having dinner at Angelica's when the board of merchants holds an emergency meeting and they would like the board of tourism to attend. What Chitose wants to discuss is the future of the board of merchants. The shopping district is becoming quickly obsolete and she may have to disband, disband the board of merchants. They quickly come back around to the pastry shop thing and corner the grocery store's owner, Akiyama, why he wouldn't, why he would even say no. Uh, Shiori gives like a good little speech in and we find out why Akiyama won't rent out his shop. Uh, the last outsider he had rented flew the coop and never told anybody because the board of merchants might become biased against outsiders. And he had also co-signed for his loan. So then he just had to pay off that loan out of his pocket now. Yeah, so he got really screwed over by the yeah. last tenant he had. So yeah. But one of the other merchants finally relents and says they can use his shop because he was just being silly. Being silly, being worried about the smell, but I feel like that's a legit excuse. I, I think it was a legitimate concern, yeah. But I mean, yeah. he he didn't realize like what Akiyama had been through, so he feels mm-hmm. like, it, all right, it's my time to step up here and just deal with it. <clears throat> yeah. So Kadota apologizes apologizes to Chitose for what happened fifty years ago, and Chitose says the board of merchants will participate in the festival. Woot woot. <laughs> uh. Kadota is getting a ride with, from the three businessmen we kept seeing randomly this episode. The businessman says, we will leave what we d- discuss in your hands. Uh, the girls decide to use the toy dragon instead, and Kadota shows up with some bad news. It seems like Manoyama might be absorbed into the expansion of Tomikura. And the reason they don't like this is because, which they really check. Uh, touch on in the second episode is you know you know the town will be renamed that's not too big of a deal but you know their whole goal has been trying to revive and keep doing the rituals of that town yeah you know and they're afraid that's going to get decimated and just get lost yeah yeah and that the uh, next episode just really nails it in couple things to note about this episode like there was no op to start this episode which is when usually when you know a show's starting to get real serious uh so that was interesting oh yeah serious uh i again just thought this episode was great i loved the whole discussion at the board of merchants meeting and i think that's a discussion that like many rural japanese shopping districts must have had to go through but it was very well written and there's no way i could have gotten it across without just quoting the whole scene (laughs) and i wasn't typing that up (laughs) Yeah, and it's something that definitely applies to like a bunch of small towns in the U.S. as well, where the Chamber of Commerce is having these same conversations when like a Walmart or a Target wants to move into town. Uh, taking out the old pop and mom shops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like a CVS pharmacy, taking out like little pharmacies, all, all those kinds of things. Yeah, so it's something that you can really identify with, even if you don't live in rural Japan. It's it's worldwide phenomenon of having to deal with this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, anything else before we move on? Uh, that's it. All really right. enjoying the show. Yeah, me too. Uh, Thursday, we've got Gamers. Episode 9, Chiaki Hoshinimori and Account Hack. So, uh, Chiaki starts off with a monologue about how she became a freeware game developer. And it's like a flashback. She like was making her way, like she was making her first game like all the way back in fourth grade. And she thinks about how making games hasn't always been fun as the feedback she's gotten from like the internet and like tr- comments and trolls has been really like harsh at times. But and like the creation process itself is like really arduous and tough. 
But what kept her going was one super fan who would always root for her and shared her same tastes, who obviously is Keita. Surprise. Uh, we zoom back to the present where Chiaki has had her mind blown after like that life game and stuff by the newfound knowledge that Keita has been that super fan all along. She's like <laughs> she's like on her living room form, like writhing around on the ground, and her sister's like, Your writhing technique isn't cute at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was just like a really funny comment to make. Uh, Chiaki seems to have short-term memory loss then about what exactly happened that afternoon when they were all playing the board game because it was so traumatic for her. But then she vaguely remembers looking at Keita differently. Um, but then she like she tells her sister like, don't you hate that trope in manga where a girl sees like an asshole guy petting a puppy and then instantly falls in love with him even though he's an asshole? And her sister's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> but uh, like Shaki's looking for reassurance, basically, that she should continue to hate Keita for the sake of having a cohesive character in her story, uh, even though like new information has come to light. So she scolds Konoha when she tries to say something negative about quote unquote Yamasan, which is one of Keita's nicknames on her website where he like uh, posts on like her Nobe-san website or whatever. But uh, then realizes she's defending Keita and she goes beat red and she collapses into the fetal position and starts making grunting noises. <laughs> so she's really having a tough time with this. Um, later, Chiaki is considering writing an email to Yamasan, but thinks better of it and then falls out of her desk chair in frustration and see she sees a Famitsu magazine on her floor and goes to her sister's room to ask hey is there anything you want for the convenience store and her sister is sweating and breathing very heavily and wearing basically nothing but a hoodie and they very heavily hint that she's like been masturbating she yeah no she was masturbating 100 <laughs> percent. yeah uh just like just continuing japan's fine tradition of aggressively over sexualizing little sisters whenever you put them in an anime that's what konoha is doing here uh in any case uh konoha asks to borrow chiaki's pc to watch a video from the opening of a game called build but that's what she says but then like she like tries to cover it up by saying oh no it's a music video of this band i really like ha 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 uh yeah, so Chiaki bumps into Keita at the convenience store. She shares, she shares a freezy with him, which is like a popsicle, basically, I guess. Um, or something. Or like a thing you like suck like frozen juice or something out of a little thing. I never had it at the convenience store there. Now I kind of wish I had seen one because I don't know exactly what these are. Um, so like she shares one with him, but also calls him a stalker for showing up randomly. Uh, he apparently forgot his transit pass and was going to get it when he found her. But then he wants to make an excuse to come over to her place for some reason I don't fully understand. And somehow he knows that her phone is turned off. And Chiaki makes an excuse that a lot of guys try to ask out girls like her during the summer. And Keita tells her, like, she doesn't have the body of someone who goes out a lot in summertime. And she's like, what the hell gives you the right to say that? But then he's like, oh, I, I can say that because I have the same pale skin as you. And I know I know who you are. <laughs> Uh, so as they walk back to Chiaki's house, uh, Keita talks about how his, his summer plans of playing video games will probably change a bit now that he's dating Karen. And he mentions how he wanted to change himself, and so he branched out in going after her, and that people like him, i.e. Chiaki, tend to make excuses out of the smallest things. And Chiaki kind of grimaces when he says that. 
Uh, Kata tells her that he was glad he found the courage to talk to her first, though, because he was relieved when Chiaki and him shared an interest in games, and he had found a true friend, though maybe that was a misunderstanding since they hate each other. Uh, and this stops Chiaki in her tracks because she's like, she's got a crush on him now, but she recovers and she teases him, saying that at least uh, through him she got to meet Uehara, so it wasn't all bad. So <laughs> when they get back to Chiaki's place, uh, she like goes over to her countertop and she puts something down and she realizes Keita's transit pass is on the countertop. So it looks like we like basically missed a scene where she found his transit pass that he had dropped on the ground or she had like taken it off of him or something and then brought it back home and then went to find him and then say like oh you can stay here and i'll help you find your transit pass something happened there that i just missed or like was just off screen i don't know so basically she planned to bring him back home i think yeah she well no she didn't plan on bringing him back home uh why was the transit pass at her apartment apartment he forgot it but like then he like, wasn't at her apartment, was he? Or no, this is right after the board game. It's still uh, the same day. Okay, okay, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, yeah, so he, he left, left it, it after the board like, game. I just okay. like walking by, she kind of noticed it, and then him bringing up made her remember. Oh, that must have been yours then, or something like that. Gotcha. Okay, that makes way more sense to me. I was yeah, so we're, confused. it's still the same day as the last episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so she goes and like tries to hide it in her room, but Keita like knocks on her door and tells her that like, hey, it started raining, so we should bring your laundry in. She had her laundry hanging out, and like there were like bras and panties there, so she had called him like, no, like a freaking pervert like previously to this scene, and so. When she when he opens her door, which by the way, never knock and just open a door to a girl's room. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Wait for her to open it, Jesus Christ. But he just opens it and then like she like freaks out because like she's got a couple things going on. One, she has her like cell phone open to the page with like the F- Grand Blue Fantasy game. Her computer also has like the Nobesan website up. So basically, like she trips on something and then like the like like the she knocks the computer mouse so the website goes on and then she trips again and she drops the phone and he picks up the phone and it has the grand blue, blue fantasy game open with the messages from his character suchi and then like yeah she slips on an issue of famitsu that's on her floor and it's it's like a huge mess and so he picks up the phone and gives it back to her asking if she's okay and shiaki's like I never intended to tell you, but I have to tell you now. And she's like, you know, Nobi, that free free game, uh, freeware game developer and Monosan are both. And then she pauses for a long time. And then all of a sudden her sister wakes up who was sleeping in her bed because she had been using the computer, I guess. Uh, She has to borrow it earlier. Yeah, and so it gives Chiaki like the perfect excuse to be like, "Yeah, Monosan and Nobesan are actually my sister, Kona." <laughs> and Keita's like, "What?" So after this, uh, Keita like, well, first of all, like, they send Keita to like the living room, I think, and then like whatever oh so first of all i, I guess it's, it's out of order so like keita afterwards like is getting lunch with tasuko who he's telling about what happened and they're like shocked at the events and like tasuko like clearly knows that chiake is nobe so he's like what the hell happened here and so he asked keita what happened next so chiake told him to stay in the living room and he waited for about 10 minutes as chiake like obviously briefed konoha on like what the deal was and like 
asked her to like play this part. So Kata says says like when Konoha was talking to him that she felt like a state of the art Bishojo AI. Like she just felt like a robot, like reading off lines. And <laughs> he's like, I can't see Konoha as anything other than Shaki's little sister. And he feels weird about meeting the person that he admired and felt close to, but feels really strange about the whole thing. And Tasaku again makes up a bullshit reason why he can't just tell Kata the truth. He's saying that Chiaki <laughs> chose this path, so it's not my right to interfere. Which is crap, because he interferes in all of these other situations, but not this time when it would just be so useful. So he starts to blurt out that now he can't be happy for Karen and Kata, even if things work out for them, because he's still rooting for Chiaki at this point. So Tasaku is the biggest like instigator in this show. He's the, he's literally the, the biggest problem. All of the misunderstandings stem with him not telling people what's actually going on. Yeah, because he, he knows it. everything. So. Yeah, he just enjoys it. So, uh, so Amano like takes this as confirmation that Tasaku really does like Karen. Uh, again, and Keita even wonders to himself if it's possible that another girl has a crush on him. And Tasuku decided to back that girl up, but then he's like, "Oh no, that would be really unrealistic." Of course, it's exactly what's happening. So mm-hmm. he uh, he goes to the game store, and he's about to buy a new dating sim, and he bumps into Konoha, who is buying the same game except for PC, not for PS4. And outside, she kind of throws a fit. She's frustrated that she didn't disguise herself that day because he noticed her. And uh, Konoha has had a tough time keeping in character because she's angry at Keita, but knows that Nobe and Mono wouldn't act this way. So she tries to explain that they're, they, like, Nobe and Mono still like him, even though they're me, technically, but I'm angry at you, but that's Konoha being angry at you. It's just a huge mess. It's confusing for everybody involved. I, I liked it. It was, it was funny. It. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Kata asks if she has like a multiple personality disorder, and she's like, "Oh yeah, that sounds really good. Let's use that." <laughs> <laughs> she, what a way to blow your cover. Yeah, she becomes overwhelmed with like annoyance and guilt and several other emotions, and ends up just punching Kata in the face on the way back home because she can't deal with this anymore. Uh, they stumble across Chiaki, who Konoha had planned to meet. And then she wonders why Keita is spending time with her little sister. And there's a whole bunch of innuendos and misunderstandings about that, etc. And then uh, Tasuku calls Chiaki on the phone, interrupt- interrupting this whole shit show of a conversation. And she wonders why Keita is spending time. Oh, sorry. And he's- he just says one line, uh, one thing to Chiaki. And he says, I've decided I'm choosing you. And then hangs up. Which, of course, is a huge misunderstanding because that would make people think that he is choosing her romantically when what he means is I'm choosing you to get together with Keita instead of Karen. Oh, my God. So this episode ends with a new ED, by the way, which is way more in a romance anime style than a show that was ever supposed to be about gamers. I honestly wish this had been the ED all along, because if it had been, I would have been like, oh, this is a romantic comedy. This is not just a gaming show. So this ED, I feel like, makes a ton more sense for the show. It's just very romantic comedy ED type of thing. Yeah, well... I last uh, last episode or before I said the the title is kind of misleading. It should be named uh, "Gamers Romance" or "A Gamers Romance." That would make a lot more sense. Then that yeah. would you would go into the show expecting that, and this is exactly what you would get. 
Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's just what's killing you is because you came into this expecting something else and that's not what it was. And yeah, and it, I feel like I got something else out of it, like at least the first episode, maybe yeah. the second episode. And then no, after that, it's, it's just been romantic comedy. Yeah. Cause they were focusing elements. on like the uh, gaming club. Exactly. Yeah. And then now they've just, you know, gone away from that. So yeah. Which is interesting. You could say that yeah. was like subverting our expectations too. Yeah. So. I, I just think it's a title thing. So, you know, I know what it's supposed to be now and I'm fine with it. I'm not bothered True. by it. Yeah. I like it too now. I mean, once they got past the middle episodes where like the misunderstandings were just like mountains on top of mountains, it's a little bit more fun to have now, but we'll see. Yeah. What, what, what I can say we have found out from this season is don't judge an anime by its title. <laughs> I mean, a centaur's life. Um, what's up with the Holocaust episode? Gamers. Uh, 18F. <laughs> well, what are you going to talk about for that title? I don't know what that would even be. Dreamers. <laughs> Witch dreamers. Dreams of the witches. I got. Yeah, I can think of a ton of them. Like I, the number eighteen has nothing to do with that show so far. <laughs> Maybe it'll be revealed but, in the final episode. But, but then we'll there see. is "Made in the Abyss," which is actually a very clever title. Yeah, that's true. And "Sakura Quest" makes sense too. And it let's does, talk you know, about the greatest title of all time: "Action Heroin Cheer Fruits." I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so. Yeah, that, that one writing guy for titles must just be like rolling in the dough, I think. Well, <laughs> Princess Principle doesn't make that much sense because there's no principle like in the show. I don't know, whatever. <clears throat> yeah, the princess part makes sense, but I have no idea what principle. Man, unless, unless she's like read... the principal character of the show, in that sense, it makes sense. I don't know, whatever. If only we could read Japanese and actually know what's supposed to be translated. <laughs> uh, but. Let's do is move on to Friday's Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul, which that title does make sense. Nina has a virgin soul, <laughs> yeah. which they emphasized a lot in the first half and now have just kind of gone away from, right? Uh, mostly, though she's uh, she's very still kind of naive at times and happy-go-lucky, but uh, not in this episode. Yeah. So we open with how Allison managed to come upon L alone uh, and you know he stabs him and then Favreau sees him fleeing away and he's like what the heck and then that's when he finds L you know out on the ground bleeding out from his uh, stomach knife wound but Favreau carries L back to like Rita who begins to work on him right away and they do this scene with like no sound but it's just like opera music playing it's very like epic and pulls you in i loved it and like they're just doing different shots of like nina working on him and like everybody standing around you see everybody's shocked opinions and like she has a little magic heart monitor next to her so you get so you get like the you don't hear the beat beep it's just the audio i mean the opera singing and stuff like that and it's super dramatic and you just really have to watch it to get the full effect and well l doesn't make it he's dead Oh. Of course, yeah. It's sad. Yeah, but it just totally had to happen for the next events to make complete and total sense. True. So, John breaks down, obviously. Uh, 
Azazel walks away with like angry tears in his eyes and Rita is just like stunned into silence. Kaiser goes to talk to Azazel and Azazel accuses one of his subordinates of killing L. Of course, he's talking about Allison. Kaiser defends him and the two argue only stopping when they like hear Nina in the background and she's like covering her ears and crying, like trying to block them out. And Favaro tells him what he saw and he's like, we know it's Allison. We know he's the one who stabbed Elle. And then as that conversation ends, Jean shows up with just like determination in her eyes and looks at Zazel with like some knowing look of we will get our revenge. And like then Sophia opens a portal saying they're going back to the land of the gods and then Zazel walks off into the rain. It's like just this bombastic opening of this episode was so great yeah and everybody act like reacted to this like in a way that felt completely natural for their character like everything made sense and their reactions were so beautifully animated too like God, it was just so well done this whole scene was so yeah good. it totally makes sense azazel would immediately be pissed it totally makes sense jean would break down and it, it just even makes sense that rita would just be you know, stunned into silence because she's not, she has emotions, but she's more of our like flatline character. Yeah. And like kind of sarcastic, but like when something like, just like you said, how everybody react was like totally spot on. Yeah. When something like this happens, you can't be sarcastic about it. So you have, if you're a sarcastic character, you just, you're just left with speechless. You just nothing to say. Yeah, exactly. It's perfect. So our little pussy, Alisan, Goes to the Ongnite's <laughs> captain and begs to join them, showing the blade with L's blood on it. The captain's like, hmm, follow me. And he takes Allison into a room with Onyx soldiers in there. And they're like in terrible pain and some are already dead. And he shows him the green gemstone that's all planted in their chest and explains it feeds off their life force, but gives them strength and power in return. And like, it's just doing gruesome things to you guys. And Allison's like, I'm a giant pussy. I didn't know it put my life at risk like that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly so, how he talks. Yeah, so the captain makes him... <laughs> so the Onyx Knights captain makes him the captain of the Orleans Knights instead, which he already was? Yeah, I thought he basically was the captain, I guess. So I don't know what that... Yeah, whatever. it wasn't Bartholomew, so... I guess it's more official now. I don't know. I, I guess. Just reinstates him. I don't know. Maybe he got uninstated and we skipped it at some point. Yeah, I don't know if he was ever officially instated as the captain or he was just like, well, now that Kaiser's gone, I guess I'll be the captain kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. But the next day, Kaiser tells Diaz what Alisan has done. Diaz is Bartholomew. I only remember that because my county's Bartholomew, so it sticks. <laughs> oh, that helps. <laughs> yeah. So Diaz, it's easy to remember that. Uh, the two the two deduced Cheerios was most likely not the one who gave him the mission. He probably acted alone. And Diaz found out Cherios left in the middle of the night in secret secret for Abos, if I pronounce that right. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, he found out that information because he threatened a vassal and probably can't return to the castle now himself. And then meanwhile, Allison is losing his mind over killing L. Good for him. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Nina isn't taking Elle's death very well in that she's keeping herself busy and can't seem to grieve for Elle just yet. She's just I like think cleaning. Yeah. She's just like obsessively cleaning things. She's and, cleaning and she's just, she's like, and she's even like pondering. She's like, Elle died. Hmm. 
like you can just see she's in complete denial. She yeah. just can't accept it yet, which is totally Anina's character. Yeah. Good, good writing show. Kudos. <laughs> Golf clap. Yeah. <laughs> we could do the slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but back in the God's realm, Gabrielle is happy to hear that Sophia has returned, but takes one look at Jean and realizes something is very, very wrong. John delivers the news that Elle is dead and that she will kill Cherios herself. She demands Gabrielle help help her and she doesn't seem to, to mind. She likes how, you know, determined she is. So, Sophia offers her life to John and gives her the power of the gods. But she didn't die, so I'm not sure what that was about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what that was about or is it just probably a translation thing? Uh, I think she, she, I don't know. It's like she gave her her godly protection or something. It's like she gave her, it seems like she gave Jean like an, an angelic form, like from Sophia. She doesn't die though. Like, but she's like, I give you my life. Maybe if Jean dies, uh, Sophia will die as well. Maybe yeah, that's, that's my only other thought I could think. Yeah. But we get to see Azazel pay a visit to his brother Lucifer and says it's time to march and and Natea, that town they live in. He says it's a good idea because they are still recovering from the last battle and Jean d'Arc will incite the human rebellion. Lucifer isn't convinced yet. He doesn't, he's like, why would Jean do what you just said? So Azazel ends up telling him about Cherios killing her child. He thinks, you know, Cherios told Pussyfoot to kill L. Yeah. And Lucifer still says, they will watch from a distance instead to ensure survival. Azazel calls Lucifer a coward and Lucifer ends up backhanding him with a book. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> and then they exchange some heated words. But Azazel seems to have started to convince him because Lucifer asks how sure he is that Jean will start this rebellion. Uh, Lucifer does in the end give the order to summon all the demons. And back at the camp, everybody has noticed that Nina hasn't grieved properly yet. And Nina while cleaning ends up finding like an old dress she had of Elle's that she dressed him up in and she just starts crying and she's surprised by her her tears and she starts having all these flashbacks of Elle and and even when like she cried when her father died as like kind of relating to it and then she just finally breaks down and starts grieving properly and just you know huddles up in a ball and cries and like they're outside the carriage and they hear it and like they all kind of sigh a little bit in relief because they're like all right she's finally accepting the situation that we're in later favaro goes into the carriage for a little one-on-one with nina and she like asks a bunch of questions about the king that you know favaro does not have the answers to and she finally gets up and turns around and looks at him and favaro is surprised when he sees a angered and determined look on nina's face uh they do what they do a really good job of getting their like their faces emotions right. It's really oh, good. It's so good throughout this whole episode. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she says she will stop Cherios if he's going to keep hurting the people around her. Favaro asks, How is she going to stop him? And Nina just stares at him with her features without her features changing at all. And then after the credits with Nina, Favaro and Bacchus are packing up and getting ready to head to Abos when Jean broadcasts her voice over the whole world to hear and flat out declares her war on Cherios and asks like you know if you're on my side meet up at 
this hill so and so and that's the end of that episode yeah like so at the start of every anime season like there's a couple shows that usually stand out for their good animation but almost always they animate like maybe three or four episodes well and then like the rest of the show kind of rests on those laurels and is it has limited motion and less animation so like because you know the animators are well aware of like the well-known three episode rule like drop rule like if you don't like it after three episodes just drop the show so they put a lot of effort into those first three episodes and then after that maybe they don't keep up that effort but with shows like rage bahamut it's been like the whole run now that the animation has just been spectacular yeah by the whole run you even mean the the first rage bahamut uh what was that called? Rage of Bahamut. Uh, oh my God, I forgot too. <laughs> Shingeki Genesis. Shingeki no Muhammad Genesis. Rage of yeah. Bahamut Genesis. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even that was just that was amazing. It was just uh, ever. I remember everybody just being totally blown away. And I don't know how that didn't make it on your radar the first time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like throughout this episode, there was just so many like amazing facial expressions and reactions and like just people like like just character animation in this episode was on point uh and like one of the best examples of it was just like that breakdown scene where nina finally started crying and like she's you know she sees like the tears falling out of her eyes and she doesn't understand what the hell is going on at first and then like she really just lets it all out and like when she lets it out like her she's animated so well that you like if you really feel her emotion which is not always the case in anime sometimes like you have a person wailing and crying but like the crying doesn't reach the rest of her body it's just her mouth and her eyes like closed and then she's crying but this like nina's whole body is just like beautifully animated in her agony and her like depression at like having l gone now like her friend and it's I loved how it was triggered by her finding the dress that she addressed Muguro up in when yeah. she thought he, that he was a girl. I thought that was such a sweet little thing that would trigger her because it was her personal moment with him. And she's like, how could I have ever thought that he was not a boy? And yeah, uh, it, then she breaks down. It's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's such it's a really good emotional scene. And it made me remember another scene. I can't remember the man, anime. Help me out with this. But it's a scene where it's you got your stupid main character and he's just being dumb. And then he has his really good like childhood friend and they're like in the kitchen and then like, he's just being dumb. And then she just fucking loses it and starts yelling at him about, which is totally like out of character for her, but like awesome and telling him like, you know, how can you not say that so-and-so likes you and all this? And do you know what I'm talking about? It might be like everyday lives of high school boys or something. It's, it's one of those, something like that. (sighs) No, yeah, that's it's, something it's, else. It's, it's where that voice actress like goes crazy on him because like I don't understand anything you're saying. That scene. Yes, yes, that's yes, one. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. That was just like I didn't think anything. The rest of that anime I didn't, I didn't really like, but I just remembered that scene. I was like, "Can I buy this voice actress a beer?" Yeah. That was amazing. It just made me remember that scene because it was. This was so oh. good. It remember, made me remember such an amazing scene I'd seen before. It's uh, the anime is when supernatural battles become commonplace. commonplace. Yep. Yes. And That's I forget it. who the voice actress. Oh, it's um, Saori Hayami is the voice actress. And she's fantastic. And she's been a lot of other stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I liked some episodes and didn't care for others. I don't think it ended very well. 
Oh, it, oh, it really didn't have an ending. Now I remember. Yeah, but if yeah. anything, everybody needs to go Google that scene. I wish. So if you if you Google uh, when supernatural battles become commonplace, I don't understand. A YouTube video will come up from uh, the Anime go. Lab channel that has like six hundred seventy seven thousand views. So everybody needs to go watches. watch that. She's got some vocals. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and like from what I've heard, like this is maybe the one scene worth watching this show for. <laughs> yeah, but it's it really, really good. Like, I don't think the rest of it's that great. But man, you just saw that one scene, and I recall Chiaki from the AA AAA podcast. Mm-hmm. talking about that show and I think she's shit on everything but she's like but this one scene and that's the scene she's talking about yeah it's a and I was point, so yeah. happy she brought that up but yeah that scene gets linked a lot on reddit out of context too and people are just like man I need to go watch that show and people are always like no nah, not really no. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen the good the good part of the show <laughs> <laughs> yeah I agree oh man. oh man but okay you ready to move on yeah so now we are moving on to Made in Abyss, episode 10, Poison and the Curse. And I'm going to take a big swig before I start this because, man, this episode. <laughs> yeah, you might need a little liquid courage to get through this review. <laughs> but like I was saying also, like the first three or four episodes of Made in Abyss, beautiful animation. It's gone downhill a little bit since then, though this episode wasn't so bad. But uh, it, yeah, it's just it's just disappointing to me how uh, you know anime go downhill. If anything, the visuals are extra striking this episode. <laughs> True. Okay, we start off exactly where we left off last time. The two see the goblets of the giants and make their way down to it to check it out. And they wade out into one of the pools, and Rico info dumps us on the fourth layer. Basically, just reminding us what happens if they were to tran- to ascend at this point. Uh, basically, what would happen? Rico would bleed out of every orifice, and <laughs> Regu. Prom- yeah, you see where we're going. Regu <laughs> promises himself he will protect Rico. Like it, it was a red flag. Just watching the episode, I was like, "Oh God!" What got me was the animation later on, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. The two are hiding out, like having a little snack and a break. When Regu, Regu says he has been sensing a strange present presence watching them for a while. Is it's it the also, rabbit girl? Is it the rabbit girl? I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, <laughs> it's not. Don't worry. Keep going. <laughs> actually, it is. Well, no, it's not. The strange presence they sense is the. Creature. You haven't seen the next episode. Oh, oh, Jesus! God damn it's it! It's not a spoiler. Okay. The rabbit girl's been there since the beginning. <laughs> okay. You find that out. It's not of big importance. So, they, yes, the present presence was her. Oh, okay. But this episode leads you to believe not for now. Gotcha. And it's not, it doesn't ruin anything. I mean, we said in the beginning of this episode, we ruined the whole anime. That's the whole point of <laughs> it. So, <laughs> I got really it. excited about like when he heard, when he said strange presence, I was like, rabbit girl's time is here. I it's thought her rabbit time girl to too. shine. <laughs> yeah. But the interesting thing is it's only moving when they talk, so they can't hear it. True. They decide to change location and lose whatever it is that's watching them. They continue to descend when Regu senses the creature behind them and quickly turns. Standing there is a four-legged creature with white spiky hair that Rico calls a orbed piercer. And she's like, we need to run. We cannot fight this thing. It is like super bad. Like it almost always kills no matter who ends up confronting it. Uh, She says that spikes can penetrate steel and they're even laced with poison. 
So Regu picks up Rico and starts to run, but the orb pierces her attacks and Regu does his best to dodge, dodge, but it hits his backpack, knocking out some of the items. One of these items is the Blaze Reaper, but the creature also seems to be pretty smart and smart enough to know that the Blaze Reaper, what the Blaze Reaper is and what it can do and intentionally knocks it away, like off the edge or something like that. Uh, but Rico gives Regu a scale umbrella to help him with the fight. So, you know, it's a little bit of defense, but we know it can pierce steel. The creature charges him and attacks and Regu like throws up the umbrella opening up and actually manages to block it. And like, you see some of the spikes go through, but stop before getting to him. And he's like, oh shit. And so Regu turns around and finds that one of the spikes made it past him and is now embedded through Rico's hand. Uh, they dodge another attack, and Regu uses some rope to make a tourniquet for Rico's um, arm, knowing the. And then he kind of, using some knowledge, knows that the creature is very sensitive to sound. So, like, he makes this huge yell, which distracts it, and then he uses his arms to take them both up and save them both. Yeah, like um, uh, Rico basically begs him, like, just take me up. You have to get me out of here. Like, uh, yeah, even though she knows it's going to hurt. Yeah, even though ascending and whatnot, and like she's been pierced. Now we know she's poisoned, which is the point of the tourniquet. And also the the reason you was having such a hard time dodging was because the creature used sound to figure out his movements. So that's why he yelled and so so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're safe for now, but with Rico is starting to suffer from the poison, and then the effects of ascending in the abyss start to take effect. First, it expels the poison, which is good. And then Rico starts bleeding severely from her hand, her eyes, her ears, her mouth, and her nose. And, oh my God, it's just going everywhere. They just, they did not dial back with the animation on this. Uh, Her hand has also swelled to like several times its normal size. And he tries to take her glove off, but she like screams in pain when he touches it. Uh, Regu, he just doesn't know what to do at this point. He's just freaking out. And Rico manages to choke out that he should just cut off her arm. And man, at this point, I was like, man, we know this show has some really dark stuff to it, but it's pulling out all the stops now. Yeah. Um, whew, Rico, like, if you're squeamish, you can't watch this episode. You're done for. Yeah, this uh, is pretty bad if you can't. If you're Rico squeamish. says he has to break the bone first before he cuts it off. So he makes a second tourniquet. For, for the breaking point and you know a little room to work and he gives Rico a piece of wood to bite down on and then he breaks her arm over a rock and then they show it too like with like the bone jutting out one way it's yeah. and like her arm in just like the total awkward position it's just like whoa Ugh. oh yeah my, my next note the show then gives you a beautiful shot of her mangled arm <laughs> yeah, beautiful and then like shot. Regu starts to cut her her hand slash arm off where he made the thing up and this is like some Halloween horror movie sound effects going on they're just like <laughs> as he's like cutting through the flesh and stuff I'm like they just went all out on this holy shit <laughs> and before he can finish he realizes she's not breathing anymore so he starts to break down but then fortunately becomes rabbit shows up and says her heart's still beating and she offers her help she then instructs regu on how to perform cpr uh they end up reinforcing rico's arm before they make it back to the rabbit's hideout uh the rabbit's hideout also seems to have an interesting effect that the curse doesn't work here for some reason in the hideout 
because there's like a little ascension into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the hideout, Rico notices the rabbit has lots of cave raiding gear and a collection of whistles. We then learn her name is Nanachi and is something that the cave raiders would call a hollow. And I have seen next episode and shit just gets more crazier just to keep the anticipation up. Oh, I'm excited for that. What, um, what are your thoughts? Other uh, than yay, rabbit girl. The yay, rabbit girl. I, I also thought, yeah, this episode like heavily bordered on being just torture porn because it was I really was going to defend it. Yeah. Even then though what other things had happened earlier in this episode, in the yeah. series, I mean. Mm-hmm. But I have since then watched the next episode and I will not defend it now. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's interesting. I was just going to say, like, you know, this would be more palatable to me if the main characters were just older. Like, they weren't just little kids for no reason. This is, unfortunately, a stain on this show that I would otherwise really like. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, just go ahead. I got to say what I got to say for next week. I feel like, yeah, it just goes too dark, both in, like, the violence and in, like, the sexual violence with, like, kids being strung up naked and tortured kind of thing. Like, it's just, it's just too dark. Like, I, but, like, I also get that there's a, probably a lot of people who watch anime who, like, go to anime to see stuff that is, like, over the edge and, like, beyond, like, what you would see on, like, American TV with, like, little kids and stuff. So... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's an audience for this. And I'm sure they're loving it. But like, it just feels like it goes too far in a couple of places for me. I wish they were just fully grown people who looked like teenagers having this happen to them. Because to me, that would be a lot like easier to take. Like teenagers reach, still yeah. wouldn't be good enough for me. I yeah. they were they were at least 18. Yeah. Yeah. Just like What's kind of adults. Adult, I yeah. could I could get that. Because when it, when they look like twelve year olds cutting each other's arms off, it's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, you mean when they look like eight year olds? Yeah, I know they look so young; it's crazy. But uh, yeah. how old have they specifically said how old they are? I don't know. Maybe at some point, but I forget now. It can't be older than like fifteen or sixteen at the oldest. So oh, definitely know. not. Yeah. Um. But yeah, if if they were a little older, I would believe that they could make it through these hardships a little bit more. Like. I feel like Rico should be really traumatized by what just happened to her. But also Rico's character is so like happy-go-lucky and stuff that I don't think she would be anyway. But Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I do enjoy the dark stuff, but I, I see where they're like sexualizing it and that's where my problem stems from. Yeah. So, yeah. Eh. Alright, let's move on. Uh, next episode we got is 18 If, episode 10, which is called... Dream Dimension Alpha. Turning out uh, to be one of my favorite series this season. Yeah. So this show has had like different directors for each episode, but the one who directed this one was Koji Morimoto himself, who is like the lead director for the whole series. And the one who's directed like the Animatrix and Robot Carnival and Memories and lots of crazy cool stuff like that. Um, So the episode starts out with yet another different and weird art style. Um, it's kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It's just kind of like loosely drawn lines, uh, just like a little bit more free form than like the typical modern anime art style, I would say. Katsumi is at a girl's house named Jane. Um, they pronounce it Hana in the episode. I'm just going to call her Jane because it's easier. Um, well, they pronounce it Jane, but the translation for the uh, uh, subs is Hana. 
Oh, really? So it was the opposite whenever I watched because I don't know, like they pronounced it Hannah and then pronou- and then said Jane in the subs. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, maybe they did. There was some confusion over that. I don't know. <clears throat> uh, she is clearly another victim of the Sleeping Beauty syndrome. Uh, Katsumi is meeting with her grandmother at her house and her grandmother is like, yeah, she loves fruits and sometimes uh, her grandmother brings a bowl of fruit to her room and then they strangely disappear and she's wondering if Jane is waking up and taking them or something. Um, After looking at Jane's sleeping face, we see a scene of a fairy girl with blue wings and pink cat ears and she's standing naked in front of a waterfall like washing her hair. And she turns and suddenly asks, who are you to the camera? But we see that Haruto is the one who's like standing before her. She approaches him and there's this crazy background of like an open eyeball staring at them from behind, from a distance. And the girl introduces herself as Jane Doe. And so Haruto slowly starts to back away from Jane. And the background of the scene starts changing, sort of like a slide projector, which scares him. Uh, She says she loves a good mystery and tells him to follow her. And then she plunges into the floor, which has turned blue. And we now find out it's water. She plunges down into the water. Haruto tells her, I can't swim. And she turns him into a fish-like form with like a little bubble helmet. And so they swim deep into the ocean among this school of fish and Haruto's following her and he starts to see some blood wisping from her like face and she turns to reveal that she's been biting into one of the fish and eating it. So it's just a weird piece of imagery. Uh, yeah, I just want to say I could watch this show just for the crazy and different animations every episode. Yeah. And also 10 minutes in and I'm wondering if I accidentally took some LSD by accident. <laughs> Definitely, 100%. Uh, <laughs> Elsewhere in the dream world, we see Katsumi in his cat form uh, deciding to look for Haruto to try to solve Jane's mystery. So uh, after that, we see Haruto and Jane. They're waiting at a train crossing and Jane pushes him out onto the tracks. um, But he jumps off as he sees like an oncoming train with like like, the train has like a huge, like scary mouth on the front of it. It's glowing with energy. And then as soon as he gets off the tracks, Jane gets on and just like opens her arms in front of the train and the train flies into her at full speed. And she's like drawn in this minimalistic style with speed lines with a smile on her face. And like the train is passing through her and she's just saying like delightful. It's really weird. So the train passes and she's gone. And then Harito looks up into the sky and he sees some like white fish-like thing flying in the clouds and another train is coming so he decides to embrace it like Jane did so he can follow her except it's not a train it's just Katsumi in a little car driving down the tracks who he's like he tells Haruto like hey standing there seems a little dangerous <laughs> so they get in the car and they drive along the tracks and but they eventually crash the car when the tracks like rise up in front of them so Haruto tells Katsumi like Jane doesn't really like me but Katsumi's like, I get the sense that she actually does like you in, in a way. <laughs> so Lily shows up at this point and saying it takes a girl to understand another girl's feelings. So uh, Katsumi says they should bring her along since uh, he thinks this is a different type of dream than they've been in before. They dive off the pillar of rock they were standing off on and fly downwards toward uh, through the air until they see a house that's lit up with lights. They land in some water and then they dry off on a beach by the fire. 
and Lily asks if Haruto did something to Jane, but he doesn't respond. Um, before they can move on, they're attacked by these spiders with red eyes and slinky legs, and the scene like cuts to black. Uh, but then we see like the spiders aren't that hostile at all. They're carrying the three of them to where Jane is. Uh, she's floating above them in the air, playing a piano with like her mind, I guess. She's like fingering the motions, but she's not actually playing a piano. The piano is like floating behind her. Uh, it's so weird. Uh, it's also s- surrounded on either side by two huge eyeballs. So it kind of looks like a face with the piano being the smile. Uh, Katsumi says, Jane's spark? Question mark. It's kind of a non sequitur for now, but we'll see what he's talking about later. Hardo asks what that is. He doesn't respond, and we enter a techno beat montage. So <laughs> Lily and Katsumi start just dancing. And dance, like, dance, dance, dance. It's so awesomely animated. The, like Lily's yeah. dance is so cute. Like, if I could have this as a GIF that would just play on my phone, like back screen or something, I would put it on there. It's really good. Why don't uh, you make that? I, I should figure out a way to do that. Like this could easily be like an early 2000s music video or something. Like I could see this being a music video. It was so cool. Uh, suddenly though, the music turns off and the dance floor goes pitch black. Uh, a spotlight shines down on Jane who starts, he, she picks up a guitar and starts playing this like super distorted guitar solo. And she's like swinging her head around and she flies up into the air with her fairy wings and is like continuing her guitar solo and they all look on in surprise. And then we cut forward and Katsumi is gone for some reason. And Lily wonders if it was something she said. And then Jane lays on a couch made to look like an owl with a cigarette in her hand. And Haruto leans against one of the couch's arms. It's just a weird framing. But back in the real world, uh, Katsumi is using Jane's computer in her room, and he discovers something. We don't know what yet. In the dream, Haruto and Jane are dueling with swords while Lily takes pictures with a camera. Jane wins, and Haruto promises to dress up in a cat Kigurumi if he lost, so she makes him pose like a cat, and they like take pictures of him together. Uh, Katsumi has apparently explained what's going on to the grandmother back in the real world who says that she can't believe Jane's doing something so amazing uh, and that she didn't know there were such different ways of living. Uh, The embarrassing photo shoot on the inside continues for Haruto, but it's interrupted when Katsumi contacts him and asks him if he can bring Jane back. He starts singing a song which transitions into like a professional recording as we see the grandmother sitting next to Jane's bed. Just like a kind of musical montage again. Katsumi returns to the dream world and now he can see Lily for some reason. Uh, it's kind of unclear why exactly he can see Lily, but there's I have some theories maybe. Haruto asks Jane... It's the glasses. The glasses? Yeah, that's what he says. Oh, does he say that? Like, I have mm-hmm. glasses now? Oh, I, don't know. I, didn't, I missed that part, I guess. Well, Yeah, he's like, I have these glasses on. They allow me to see you. He... So huh. He gave a reason and I, was, I just accepted it. Oh, okay, cool. Haruto asks Jane if she's sure she wants to stick with this and she slaps him twice very hard. Like, don't know exactly what he's talking about, like, but like, it's kind of unclear. Katsumi tells Lily, you can't go at a girl like that head on and Lily tells Katsumi to give it a try, but he says he can't because he's a big fan of Jane. 
So Jane then tells Haruto he's just like the others. Everyone tells her to wake up and come back to the real world, and she's sick of it. She says she'll decide for herself what's best for her. And then she sneezes and, like, lets it... Like, when she sneezes, she sneezes, like, a huge ball of fire. For some reason, it's just really random. Uh, it's a dream world, man. Just let it roll. Yeah, just let it go. Katsumi says it's about time to ask Jane something point blank. And she prepares matcha green tea for the two of them. Katsumi tells her he likes cats, too, to break the tension. Uh, they sit silently until she asks if she can smoke. Meanwhile, Lily and Haruto are sitting in Jane's control room, and Haruto can't make any sense of her, like, control instruments that control the world. Jane keeps coughing, so Katsumi asks her why she's trying so hard to smoke. And she says that she's always been frail and always envied others who weren't. And one time, like, a snake came into her hospital room, and she made friends with it. But when doctors found out they made her get rid of the snake. So she thought that in her dream, she could smoke. But even in her own dream, she keeps coughing. And then <laughs> Katsumi names some titles. She's like, he names the titles like, I'm home, Jane. Uh, Jane's lollygags. Jane's spark, like he said earlier. And he says he subscribes to all of them. And we find out she's been writing blogs from inside the dream world. And eating the strawberries. And eating the strawberries, I guess, yeah. He asks her why she slapped Haruto before, and she says she's bad with words, despite being a terrific blog writer, uh, because when someone's right in front of her, she's useless with them. Uh, she says she's grateful to Haruto for giving her a chance, though. She then asks how long Haruto has not been awake, and Katsumi says he'll need her help soon. And that's the end of the episode. So it's just, it was a really interesting one about, like, a creator who is creating things from inside the dream world and is sort of happily existing there. Like she's sort of accepted her Snow White syndrome and doesn't want to be saved from it. It was really interesting to see that perspective. Yeah, she prefers to be in the dream world. And also, I'm so happy we're going to why Haruto is there, which has been a question of mine for a while. Oh, um, uh, yeah. I'm sure the yeah. last couple episodes will get into that for sure. So I've seen the next episode, no spoilers, mm-hmm. but. Everything we've seen up to this point all comes together and it is fantastic. It immediately catapulted this uh, show to the top of my the summer season for me. Wow. Okay. I am really excited to watch that episode now. I, it was, <laughs> it's just how it took... So, like, up to this point, I've, this and Princess Principle, they, it was just... It felt like randomness, right? Yeah, like just episodic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, it just nails it with the next episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, I'm sure I will. So that'll be episode 11, which we'll we'll get into that next week. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, let's finish this out. The last episode we're reviewing today is on Saturdays, Action Heroine Cheer Fruits. Uh, this is episode 9, Gin no Maji Silver Serious. So uh, we start off with another flashback to the tennis match that Misaki lost back in middle school. And Roko asks her to be her double partner in high school, but Misaki like grabs her knee and tells her, I'm done playing tennis. And so that was all flashback. Back in present day, Misaki and Roko are running to catch a train. And like Roko tells Misaki like, hey, running like that isn't how someone with like a bad like Achilles tendon should act. And the little girl a little girl approaches Roko on the train and asks for her autograph and Roko is kind of embarrassed that she's getting an autograph signing and Misaki's standing right there but she jots it down 
The girls get the go-ahead to have a booth at the upcoming festival in Hinano. And they're excited at the prospect of expanding their audience, selling more merch, and continuing to just promote the town. Uh, and But Mikan asks Misaki if she'll play a role in the next performance. She wants to add her as the Platinum Sixth Warrior. Misaki gently refuses, saying there's not enough time for the next performance for her to really prepare, and she doesn't want a, the quality of the show to drop, and I think she just doesn't want to really play a part. Roko goes to talk with Misaki before because she knows she's been feeling bad for herself and she's afraid to put forth effort into anything since her tennis injury like ruined her career. So Roko yells at her to stop making excuses and trust that putting in effort will lead to results this time. Misaki gets upset and tells Roko that if she thinks she's running away, she doesn't understand her feelings at all and she runs off crying. So the performance, though, goes forward as scheduled, though there's a bad forecast. It has a 70% chance of rain. I, I liked An's outlook on this, where she's like, well, that's a 30% chance it won't rain. That's a great batting average, so we have a good chance. The performance starts, and it's pretty fun. And they actually show pretty much the full-length performance. Uh, there's a lot of audience participation with the, the baddies like telling like a young boy in the audience that he needs to take the train from now on instead of driving in his mommy's car. And then the crowd like has to summon Hina Nectar with these like little placards that they spin around on their finger. It's really cute. Uh, Muramura like accidentally ad libs in a scene, even though like she was yelled at not to do that. And uh, <laughs> Roko, yeah, it's funny. Roko covers for her like very smoothly, which is impressive to Misaki, who wonders to herself if she really has been running away this whole time. However, the performance is interrupted by rain. It's not too heavy, so the show can still go on. But Misaki gets a call from Mr. Tachibana, who's in charge of the the fireworks that they've been planning on, and he says we're, we're postponing the fireworks for ten minutes, so you got to stall. So they have no choice but to just stretch and Misaki signals the girls on stage and gives them the information by cue card. The girls do their best to ex extend the fight scenes, but the audience starts to get restless and confused after a little bit. And Roko realizes they just can't go on like this. So she charges it on to try to do something, but she slips on a puddle of water on the stage and goes down really hard and everybody kind of gasps. Masaki realizes this is not working. She takes her like lucky lemon charm out that they gave her in a past episode. And then she gets really determined to do something. She grabs some sheets from backstage and like puts them on, like making like a robe and makes her appearance. She introduces herself as the platinum warrior. And she claims, <laughs> I'm, I'm not an ally to Hina Nectar, but I just really hate those bad girls or something like that. <laughs> so they still have like three minutes to fill, which they basically fill by Hatsuri just like being like, are you my long lost sister? Which gives Hatsuri an excuse to just run up to Misaki and just hug her, <laughs> which is what she was always wanting to do. Uh, so like that wastes three minutes as Misaki's like, please get off of me. You're not my sister. <laughs> but uh, luckily Tachibana calls back about the fireworks and says like, you've got the go ahead. We're lighting them up. And so they bring the performance to the end with the final attack. And then the fireworks go off behind them. And it's great. And the crowd loves it. And so afterwards, uh, Roko thanks Misaki for joining in and hugs her, crying and apologizing for saying that she was ever running away. Um, and so they're both friendly again. 
But yeah, it was a fun episode because they showed like a full per- like length performance that they've kind of been building up to this whole time. Yeah, that's what I liked. And it had its problems and they did what they could to fix it and, you know, and pulled it off in the end. And I also thought it was really cute what they were doing for the little kids. Yeah, I loved how they had that participation with the kids. And I feel like if I was the kid who was singled out in the audience by like the bad people on stage and told like, you have to take the train, don't take your mommy's car. I would have been like crying or something as a little kid. I was like a sensitive little kid. I would have been scared out of my mind. No, I felt I thought that was intense. I when they did that, my first thought was, I don't think I would put that in my show if I was in their situation <laughs> yeah. or, or even if you singled them out, you definitely wouldn't be that harsh. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, but whatever. It was fine. And you could see his mom was sitting right next to him and she was just smiling the whole time. So the mom was loving it. <laughs> the mom's like, she, she knows what they're doing, but the little kid doesn't, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that show just continues to roll around along. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm just generally happy with how that show has gone. It's just a fun little thing. I think it's fine, but it's not my thing. Yeah. So. It's definitely not the best show of the season, but it's definitely not the worst show. So that's what I'll say. No, definitely not the worst. So do we have anything else to say before we go back to playing Destiny 2 for another week? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I would say we're approaching the end i think we have no that's not next week uh that we have final episodes it's the week after and then we're done with the season yeah pretty much we're closing in on the end yeah we need to actually start to look into what we're going to watch next season i haven't looked at anything i have no idea what i'm in for i've looked over the the shows that are coming out a few times there look like a couple of good ones there's a lot of sequels like a ton of sequels so that'll Hmm. be interesting but uh food wars is going to come back so that'll be fun Oh, I read that manga. I'll definitely be reviewing that. I like that show a lot. So, yeah. And it'll replace Restaurant to Another World as our weekly food show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh, that's it. So thank you for listening. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe to us on YouTube to get updates on new podcasts or videos. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Nerdum and Other for updates as well. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, and probably other podcast aggregators if you have one. So find us there. And, and with that, we'll see you next week. Yes, watch anime and play Destiny 2. Later. Peace.